Hi, I am Jen Matthews, and I'm an adoptee. You're listening to Conversations About Adoption, a podcast where I interview and converse with other adoptees and first parents about their stories and other issues around adoption. My goal is to spread the perspectives of other adoptees and first parents so we can challenge the common narratives and misconceptions of adoption and hopefully shed light on the social justice issues pertaining to adoption, as well as the issues adoptees and first parents face on a regular basis. I am having a conversation about adoption with Rebecca Autumn, who is the filmmaker of uh, the movie Reckoning with the Primal Wound that I got to see um, as one of these group events on Eventbrite. And we had a round robin, got to see Nancy Verrier, and it was really cool. And uh, so I'm excited to talk to you today. And thanks for having me, Jen. Yeah. So you are an adoptee, right? Yes. And adoptee. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So do you want to give us a quick rundown of your story? I'm sure you've probably told it many times, but just for anybody who's not familiar. Um, Sure. I can do that. (laughs) I am, yes, a filmmaker and kind of told or tell my story in the film, but I'm a domestic adoptee. I was adopted when I was two days old um, from the hospital in Nashville. So I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. And I grew up with a brother who was also adopted, a younger brother. And um, do you remember being told when I was, I think four or five, I'm not sure what age, that I had another mommy and daddy out there. And so that was being told. I do remember being told and it like threw me through a loop, but we didn't talk about it again. And so I was totally in the fog, you know, (laughs) living my life. Yeah. Um, didn't really know any other adopted people growing up and then read the primal wound in 2012. And that is what kind of got me shook me out of the fog. And I immediately like tried to find Jill, my birth mom. And with the help of my mom, Martha Carroll, who's in the film. So she had the idea to like get in touch with the social worker that worked with them. Yeah. And it was just such weird timing because the, I did do that. And she was in Papua New Guinea and still got the email this is the social worker, Becky, who's also in the film, um, and had just recently gotten back in touch with Jill, my birth mom Wow, that year in wow. 2012. So it was really easy to find her. And we've been in reunion for 10 years. So it's kind of neat. Yeah. Then the book, The Primal Wound was written 30 years ago next year. Oh, wow. Which I didn't really realize, but that's kind of also a benchmark that is neat. (laughs) (laughs) Film finally like being ready to be seen. Um, But that's my story and it has like... In a nutshell. In a nutshell, yeah. (laughs) So that's really great that your adoptive mom was supportive in you finding, because a lot of times they're 
very sensitive about that. It seems, you know, and it's hard as a kid to like, I'm sure it was closed adoption, right? There was no information that your parents had. Correct. That's interesting that you were able to go through the social worker. Um, Were you, were you adopted through an agency or? Hold on. I'm getting blown up. Okay. Yes. Um, No. Well, the agency was disbanded. Okay. Years before it was Christian counseling services. Oh. Of the um, Nazarene denomination, which Jill grew up as, and that's why she went to Nashville because it was the closest Nazarene adoption agency. Okay. Okay. I'd never even heard of that before. That yeah. kind of under that umbrella, Nazarene. I hadn't. I I've heard. I've heard a lot about um, the Mormons because there's quite a few Catholic first moms that were Mormon that oh. talk, that make videos on TikTok and stuff. It's I didn't. I haven't seen those. Oh, it's always yeah. Catholic services, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a few. And um, so, how did you learn about the book, The Primal Wound? That was from random sources I think it was three different adoptees that I met around the world even mm-hmm. like when I was filming um, for another documentary in England and I had no idea the person I was interviewing was adopted <laughs> and they mentioned it because they had their story had been like all over the news when they were 15 ran away from home <laughs> and it was like across the UK and um so of course I was like, oh, I was adopted too. And they were like, have you read The Primal Wound? Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, no, but like filed it away, still didn't get it or anything. And then yeah. um, in this, back in the States, not even that long after that, I think this all happened in the same year. It was like a flurry of random adoptees that I met. Like one was even um, an addiction intervention person mm-hmm. and they were like I was adopted I'm like oh great that's what we need <laughs> specifically but like how random and yeah. then uh same story and they were like have you read the primal list <laughs> I don't know I feel like this happens to a lot of adoptees and they keep they hear about it and they put it off because it is word of mouth like that's the only yeah. way the book that's the marketing strategy that Nancy because it it worked and um it really took me three times of hearing about it and I can't remember I know it was there were three instances because it was like um okay fine I will read this book (laughs) but I can't like remember the third third time was the charm and then it got you motivated to get the book whoever it was told me (laughs) I I recommend it to people all the time a lot I know it like it's so recommended and but I I was 29 right yeah yeah. so I'd gone through and was not in the community and still really wasn't after I read it I didn't know there was a community of adoptees until like really two or three years ago yeah there's multiple there's um adoptee twitter you know on Instagram there's like adoptee voices adoptees of TikTok 
Yeah, there's, it's interesting if you look for the hashtag. I recommend it a lot of time whenever I have like blowback from adoptive parents that don't want to hear anything about it. And I'll say, you know, check out this hashtag and just listen to what these people have to say about adoption, you know? And often I recommend the book, The Primal Wind too, because like, it's so important. Um, my, uh, somebody that I know who is a foster parent who's a new foster parent. Um, she's had this child for a year and the mother was pregnant again, gave birth and left the hospital. So she was called to, um, take in this baby. She's very triggering for me. And, um, I was like, if I give you some recommended readings, will you please, you know, read them? And she was like, yeah, I'll read all the things. I'm like, good. Thank you for being willing. Cause it's so important. You know? Yes. And I still feel like I'm learning and I know that I should be, well, now I'm kind of seen as kind of a leader in the space, but I don't feel like equipped quite yet to, I don't know, I guess making the film, yes, it's given me a lot more expertise than I had before. It's put you in <laughs> like the public eye too. It. Yes, but um, I am just trying to learn and like from you and from people who are on TikTok and doing it because I, I have drafts, but I won't, it's hard for me to like be as candid and vulnerable as it seems like the what I respect a lot from the adoptees that are going there and like all over it every day, mm-hmm. like and creating content is pushing sins and posting because I don't know I find I guess I'm not ready to like and I know that you're getting pushback constantly and it's Mm -hmm. draining and I don't know but you're doing such important work and I'm even learning from watching these things because a lot of times and in Q&A's now like at film festivals and stuff I like do I know enough I don't know about the laws in every state, you know, like, well, I don't think anybody does. It's just important to realize that, you know, adoption laws are managed by each individual state, you know, and I think it's really a big deal that there is no federal oversight. I really feel like there should be, you know, you're talking about children's lives, babies and children that are going to grow into adults that are a large part of the population. And like, I understand adoption is not going to go away as much as a, a lot of us want it to. So since it's not going to go away because the agencies have all the pull, you know, they have the money to pay lobbyists that lobby to the legislatures to not change the laws. And they're very, I like to use the word antiquated because, you know, they all were like put in place back in the thirties and forties and stuff. And, and now everything has changed, you know, and it's been noted that first moms were like, you know, we were promised anonymity, but we didn't ask for it, you know, and things like that, that doing further research, like what I've found and, you know, I don't know for sure, but um, there was this like free sample. You could use uh, newspapers.com for like two weeks for free. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like doing a bunch of digging 
And like one of the first laws that was um, about sealing birth certificates started in California and Georgia Tan was selling babies in California and was out there often. And there was like actually this adoptive parents group that was formed and they were the ones that were like, well, I think we should seal birth certificates and all this kind of stuff. And Georgia Tan was not a big voice in this group, but she was in attendance at meetings often. And I really, I really feel like the sealing of birth certificates was just, it protected her. It enabled her to keep selling babies because it made it harder for adoptive parents to trace where their kids went if the records were sealed. And a lot of times she changed um, birth dates. Like I did an interview with uh, a Georgia Tan survivor. Um, her name is Judy. And when she found her biological parents, her mom was like, no, that's not your birthday. You know, her, her and her two, she was the youngest. And then she had two older siblings. Her brother was five. And I think her sister was two and five was at the age of almost unadoptable for Georgia Tan, but she would still take them if they were cute. And he ended up in really bad situations, but um, yeah, their birth dates were changed, you know, to make it harder for the parents to find them. They literally, Georgia literally stole them from her mom. Yeah. You know? She was like kidnapping and yeah. trafficking. And you're yeah. saying that these laws are part of a cover up. I feel like it. Yeah. Tracks. Yep. Yep. And the adoption agencies like it because they, they like this veil of secrecy because it keeps them protected. Now, you know, now adoptions are open, but I still feel like, you know, open adoptions didn't start becoming popular until the destigmatization of single moms. Like there was that transition in the end of the seventies, beginning of eighties, where you were seeing a lot more single moms and so it's like, well, if it's not a big deal for me to raise my child myself, why should I give it up for adoption? You know, and then the agencies were like, well, if you do, we can do open adoptions and at least you'll, you can pick the parents and you'll know where they go, but they don't bother to tell the moms that it's not legally enforceable. You yes. Know? That's what I learned from Sierra Watts now that we're friends. Yeah. And it's, it's Her just, story. she's just like going through it. Really? It was open. Mm-hmm. But that's, it's not legally enforceable. So she totally lost track of her yeah. son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, that happens a lot. It does, it does. It happened to um, Cheyenne. She's the first mom that was interviewed in that Time Magazine article, you know? Yeah. Yep, it happened to her. And um, there was uh, the founder, one of the founders of Saving Our Sisters. Um, same thing with her. It was supposed to be an open adoption and they closed it up, you know, and it's really moms have no power. Uh uh. And it's torturous. You adoptive parents. No, 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 they don't. It's really sad. That would be worse though. If you have that expectation, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're mentally prepared to be a part of your child's life and that's how you started. And then you're betrayed. Exactly. That's what it is. It is a betrayal. And, you know, it's like, you can't have real informed consent unless you really inform these, you know, expectant moms that, hey, it's possible that you're going to not be able to stay in touch with your child, you know, which is really aggravating. (laughs) 
So anyway, um, you recently had your film screened at a couple of film festivals? Well, it was just one. No, just one. It was the official premiere at Catalina Film Festival, which is a very respectable film festival. Um, We weren't out on the island, but um, we were in their Long Beach venue. So that was more accessible, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and how did um, it go? So a lot of people from the community could come. There were a lot of podcast hosts and um, yeah. adoptive parent, NPEs, adoptees, birth mother. <laughs> yeah. I love so your boss videos. Cool. They were so cute. <laughs> the what? The bus videos that you made on TikTok. Where you I guys were all I was stuff. doing like a marketing campaign, but I'm proud of myself for this. I was like, you know what? this party bus is a struggle bus. And I, I literally didn't plan it to be that, but then like, <laughs> I we were all it. like going through something. And so <laughs> we're having these conversations that are like hard and I put on Inya and it was, oh my so, gosh, I it was imagine. the struggle bus. So it was really funny. And then it was, it gave me the idea that we could do that. You know, that yeah. could be a thing that could be our publicity. I like didn't, unintentional publicity stunt that I would love for, you know, one of these, like, I don't 23 and me, if you're listening to sponsor us to go on the road, but. Or Ancestry. <laughs> Ancestry said no already. Oh, they already did? They're like, they're maxed out on sponsorships, but they, yeah, they did like look at the deck. Of course they're maxed out on sponsorships, but how cool would it be to get like one of these big dogs to yeah. support adoptees voices and like this narrative of that and who uses DNA kits more. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know we don't represent like everybody, but it would be a boon for yeah. one of them. And I love this idea and I would love to bring it to cities and then like have 15 to 20 adoptees riding around four hours before a screening it could be a whole thing it'd be fun right do pictures at different places you know (laughs) I was just in visiting pictures like uh like in Pittsburgh like go to the point you know where the fountain is and the three rivers and (laughs) take a group photo with the bus (laughs) see it's already happening we're manifesting this we're envisioning it that means next step we get a sponsor. You got to get yourself a bus. <laughs> They're like a million dollars. I Googled that. Are you serious? Like, it needs to be an electric bus. Um, but oh, they're yeah. like a million dollars. Are you serious? Is that much? I don't know. You try to Google it. That's what I found. Yes. <laughs> That's what I said. I was like, this can't be right. But it okay. might be. And then it was like, no. Okay. So it has to be rented and everything. Like it can't be driving this. Oh my God. I can't drive a gas guzzling bus no, around the country. No. I would do that. But if it was electric, it's going to be like an arm and a leg. Wow. I know. It's crazy that the stuff that's better for the planet is so expensive. <laughs> I know. I'm, I keep thinking it's going to switch over. I think it's going to. I keep not buying an EV. And I think that's the correct move. <laughs> Until like there's charging stations and more places. Right. Right. Oh, but do you remember that Kickstarter that was for um, solar-powered roadways? 
was like solar freaking roadways and they raised yeah. millions. Yeah. And then what happened with that? I it don't know. Like solar roadways that charged the cars That's while right. you're driving. There's brilliant. not enough electric cars for it to be worthwhile for them to do, I guess. I guess. <laughs> but it, like the technology exists. Yeah, right. And I just feel like in 10 years, maybe. It'll be more affordable. But I don't want to wait 10 years for our struggle bus. I know. The struggle bus is such a great idea. I love it. I'm so glad. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, I just remember when you were doing your little raffles, you know, where you would give away some of the proceeds to somebody, you know, just for the struggle bus. It's like such a cute expression. How did you come up with that one? Oh, my best friend uses that term all the time. So oh. it and then like it resonated, but it's not something that I made up and people, I think you, you've never heard it before. Not until you said it. No, that's awesome. <laughs> but I can't claim like making it up, but it totally tracks for our community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. So and, with, um, I'm still doing that. I still want to do the raffles. Yeah. And like give 10% of the proceeds to adoptees like that. Except um, it's triggering for me too. Like if we're having conversations about all the things adoption <laughs> triggers, um, money and value. Um, so when I wouldn't hear back, you know, mm-hmm. from people, then I would say something inappropriate, you know, in the Facebook group and then they would get mad at me. And I had people leave the group and send me scathing emails because of that. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to quit doing this, but I, it is hard. I have to just let it go. And Do you feel like you struggle with like insensitive or not insensitive, but like being oversensitive at times? Totally. But I don't like, I just had a meeting where I stood up for myself and it yeah. was really hard. Um, but it worked because I'm so out of practice of doing that. Like, I don't think I've stood up for myself my whole life. Right. Advocating <laughs> so, for oneself is not easy. No. And it's, um, I don't know, if, you know, being a woman and, and an adoptee, and there's just so many reasons you, you're going to get infantilized mm-hmm. and steamrolled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just let that happen way too many times. And so um, I'm done with that. <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. Um, when I, and, I remember when I was reading a primal wound, there was like a lot of what I called light bulb moments, you know, like I'd be reading a section and I'm like, oh my God, I do that. And it's just, it's really like, I don't think I ever got all the way through the whole book, to be honest, because I, I just really struggled with it. So it's literally like a reference thing. They'll be like, hmm, pick it up and like flip through it and see if like, yeah, this applies. Okay. And it's, it's really the way she came about writing the book and stuff. And I've seen a lot of adoptees that criticize because she's an adoptive mom. And they take this standpoint, well, she's writing from an adoptive parent standpoint. I'd be like, yeah, she is. But think about what she's done here. Like she's an adoptive parent who recognized something was going on with her adoptive child. And I think a lot of adoptive parents don't even see that. Like, I don't think my parents ever recognized that anything was going on with me internally thoughts about being adopted. And it's really funny because as I've gotten older, you know, I went through my reunion when I was 30 
not my mother because okay. she was deceased, but I met my grandparents and my uncle and my found out who my brother was when I was 30 and met my dad, but he was like, it's not me. So <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Um, confirmed him through ancestry D, uh, DNA. Oh, it was him. Um, but like, there's been a lot of this introspection. Like I grew up with silent generation parents. My parents were older. My adoptive dad's literally like a year older than my paternal grandmother was to the day. And there's a whole lot of this, you know, cause they grew up the depression. It's like, you know, don't be such a baby. And you, you know, you think you have it hard, you know, so everything was minimized and dismissed. And I felt like I wasn't really allowed to have feelings when I was a kid, particularly about my adoption. And, you know, so I spent most of my life, like just shoving my feelings down and trying to not have them. And, um, I discovered Joe soul. He has a website. It's adoptionhealing.com, I think. And, um, he has a very large adoption group. I'm not in it anymore, but I was for a long time. And, uh, he has these healing retreats. He's a therapist and he like one weekend a month through this spring and summer, I think he will host these healing weekends where you come and you do various exercises and he's very much into um, like inner child therapy. Remember? Yeah. yeah. And like having a conversation with your younger self and he has a book and stuff like that. I have a hard time doing that because it always feels kind of hokey, mm-hmm. you know, but he's recommended like tape up a picture of yourself. Like when you were a kid on your mirror, And like when you're doing your hair or whatever, look at that picture of yourself and like say comforting things to your child self. And, you know, like it's okay to have feelings and and things like that. And it's very, it's an interesting uh, concept. Um, But he has these nightly, I don't know if he's still doing it, but he had these nightly chats where you would go in there and you could only make feeling statements. It was, I feel blank because blank. And some of those nights in there um, were very cathartic because when you're thinking in that way and you're making these feeling statements, it really puts you in touch with what you're feeling. And I can remember getting off, like just crying and typing into these, these chats, you know, just, and it really, it helped me. But he said, a lot of times adoptees aren't able to identify what they're feeling for a couple reasons. One is that we're taught to shove our feelings down. And the other is because we're feeling multiple things at the same time. Mm. And that can make it really hard to decipher what emotion, you know, you're actually having. And like, for example, is when you're going through reunion, there's so much that's bittersweet. You know, you're so like, oh, this is so amazing. And it's like, well, what if the what ifs start coming? You know, like, well, what if my mom had been able to keep me? What if, it, and it's it's really, they come in waves, I think, when you first go through a reunion, you know, and then they eventually taper off. But I, I've been through it a few times and, and they're, they're really tiring. <laughs> yeah, and I think, yeah, that 
why the scene in the movie that resonates with people so much, that was the first time I'd gone down, mm-hmm. like it had been six or seven years mm-hmm. before I got to one of those hiccups and no one could talk to me there, even mm-hmm. though I had so much family like mm-hmm. there and my husband was there, but he was watching Frankie Joe. And so it was like, when I did get that, like hit that wall of like, this is not as awesome as I thought it was. <laughs> like, I'm not actually included in what I, I don't even, I didn't have expectations, but yeah. even not having expectations, I am hurt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I, I can't protect myself. Oh, you know, oh shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a thing and yeah. I, it's going to be hard. And I forgot that reunion was maybe not going to be like happy all the time. No, self-care is really, really important. And um, like, I was lucky I was in a group that uh, it was started and run by a first mom and she was all about reunion and helping people find, but she was really good because she offered really good advice. And like, as soon as we had this first phone call, she was like, okay, I'm going to ask you two questions. I said, okay. She was like, the first one is why now? As in, why are you searching now? And what do you want from this? Or what are you expecting from this? Oh, yeah. And it really like to make you stop and think like, (laughs) you know, and she was like, the important thing is to remember that, you know, they're people too. They're imperfect. Don't try and have any ideals in your mind because then you can end up disappointed, you know? And But um, even, even if you don't, yeah, they're still kind gonna of end up <laughs> I mean, that's adoption, right? <laughs> it's ugh. And like things I'm dealing with behind the scenes now with people that you never even you can't expect it. It's hard to look at all of these possible outcomes. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're potentially negative or ugh. Yeah, it's just you have to constantly be doing self-care and like telling yourself and like positive self-talk mm-hmm. so that you don't spin out, I think. And yeah, my relationships are like really close. It's like, you know, Jill and Nancy, neither of them came to the premiere. Like, really? what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> What does that mean? And so I tweet yesterday because I'm just not having a good day. It's like, have I made more people's lives harder and worse than easier and better? Because <laughs> when you start thinking about it, it's like, what am I even doing? And I think I triggered like an adoptee who is not out of the fog as much as I thought they were, you know? And so that's, even turned into a thing where it's made me question that. And that's a depressing thing to question because you don't want to be like, am I making people's lives like harder? Because I am like, look at this. (laughs) Look at your issues. (laughs) Even if you're not ready to look at your issues. (laughs) Like, is that my role? 
Mm. Um, I don't know. Like, or am I just distracting myself from, you know, the sequel that people want to do? And that would be having to meet my birth dad. Oh. And so am I like trying to do these other projects and like stir up, I don't know, stuff I'm not supposed to be stirring up because I don't want to go there right. myself. If you don't want to go there. So you didn't find your dad or did you? I no, remember. I haven't. No, that's oh. like supposed to literally be like the next project, but, um, well, don't do it till you're ready to, you know, like that's the important thing is just when you feel ready, you'll know it. And, you know, like for me, my dad was kind of an afterthought. I was really focused on my mother. And I think, I believe from like what I've seen, it seems to be the common thread because your mom is who you were actually connected to, you know, it makes sense in a way. And even more so for women, um, adoptees or, you know, assigned female at birth adoptees, I think, because that's a connection we have with our mother, you know, both being female and, you know, being able to procreate ourselves it's like, I don't know. Like I, I mean, I had my, my kiddo in, um, 2010 and mm -hmm. it was, it was kind of, it was hard for me because I was really wishing that I had my adoptive mom, you know, yeah. because she had been, she had died like three or four years earlier. And you know how like you always want, you know, that comforting, like, I think that's all that I was after. I was really after having that comforting thing. And then, you know, I would think about how my mom isn't here, my, you know, any of my adoptive parents or my first mom to, you know, meet my kid and see him grow up and stuff. And now like my dad, I met back in 2001, um, my mother knew who it was. She put him on the birth certificate, but he denied it. And um, he was, he was like, sure. He was like, it wasn't me, but I know who it was. He's like, it's this other guy. And back then in 2001, DNA was like $400 per person to do like paternity. And I didn't have that. And he didn't have it. So it was like, okay. And he literally put like, he put me in touch with somebody who was related to that family that sent me a picture of that guy and like the adoptee detective that I am, I did all the digging and went all the way. And I found this guy's kid who he had been estranged from, from the time he was four and like formed a relationship with this guy and like thought he was my brother for 16 years. So then like I was going to do DNA. My, my adoptive sister got me a DNA kit for Christmas um, in 20. 18, I think it was. And so I told my brother, I'm like, I'm going to be doing, you know, ancestry. And I was building my ancestry tree and everything when he was in it. And I was like, Oh, and we're related to, so and telling him all this information. And, um, he's an archeologist. So he was like very into it. And, uh, he was like, yeah, he's like, okay, I'll do a DNA kit too. And so I'm like, did you get your results? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, I don't see your name anywhere in my tree and my DNA matches. He's like, yeah, same. And I was <laughs> like, hmm, 
you know? So that was like a loss in a way because I had formed a relationship with this guy for 16 years as my brother. So now I call him my not brother, you know, and we but still keep in touch. touch. Yeah. And he was very cool about it. Cause he was like, Hey, think about it this way. Our parents were friends and now we're friends, you know? And cause my mom and his dad were friends, you know? And, um, but it's, it's like, it's like this roller coaster of emotion, you know, like the night that I figured that out, I was like happy because it meant I have a dad. He's not dead, but like sad because of all this lost time. And then sad because this guy's not actually my brother, but like happy because, oh, I have a sister. And it was just like such a mishmash of emotions, you know, have you mm-hmm. ever done a DNA test yet or no. I haven't. Yeah, that would probably lead you to your dad if you did do one. Oh, I know who he is. Oh, you do? Okay. Because Jill, yeah. Oh, right. But, Duh. Um, yeah, I should still do one. Just when I you're can. ready. Because it's yeah. a lot. When you see those DNA matches, you're like, oh my God. I have like 5,000 matches, but most of them are all like fourth, fifth you know, sixth, seventh cousin or something like that. You know, I have, that's how I figured out my dad was my closest relative on there was my great uncle. So. Um, So do you have any more um, events going on with the film? Yes. Have you still been doing more online screenings and things like that? Yeah. um, Well, it comes out, you know, on Saturday. So Oh, That's please interesting tell, to see. tell more, tell us more about that. What do you mean it comes out Saturday? I mean, I guess there's like going to be an official date and that's what is on the poster, October 15th. Okay. Um, and it'll be more like available to people to see whenever they want. They'll just be able to rent it still on Vimeo. So it'll be available on Vimeo for people um, to rent. And then it, there will always be like a cheaper option if you do want to watch it in community. And so like high race hope and healing retreats is hosting a screening on Saturday afternoon at 3 PM okay. um, for like half as much as it is to rent. And then me and Jill will be there at the Q and a, and people can continue to do that. Um, forevermore (laughs) and like I think they're planning a screening in the UK it's actually adoption awareness week next week okay so I think there might be an in-person there we're still like trying to figure that out like specific date and location with adopted and aligned with Mm -hmm. Emma over there and then there's gonna be one in person in Melbourne, Australia on November oh, yeah? 21st. Yeah, Australia loves the film. Through the group Vanish, that's in Victoria. Um, so, oh, and then the AKA conference is on. Yeah, the- I saw that happy. today. They added it to their like schedule. So I think it's um, November 4th. The conference is the fourth and fifth, but um, you can buy a viewing of the film like a la carte, I believe, and not like 
have to go to the whole conference, but okay. also go to the whole conference. I think it's online. So, and that's adoption knowledge affiliates. Yeah. Yeah. Out of Austin or Dallas. Where are they out of? <laughs> I think it's Dallas. Yeah. Okay. I was reading that this morning. I saw it on my um, feed and I was like, oh, adoption. Okay. I remember this group. It's been a while since I've seen them come across my feed, but it was promoting <laughs> the, um, yeah, they, I think they just started promoting the conference. Yeah, Maybe. it seems kind of close to when it's going to be happening in the date for promoting it, isn't it? It's like, yeah, in like a couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> so, a couple of weeks. Um, but it's online, so I think that's how you can do that. Yeah, and they said when you register, they make like if you can't be there for the actual meetings, that they'll be recorded and posted for you to access. So yeah. So it is in person too? Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I think it's all online. You can yeah. do in person and be in a Zoom online. meeting and then it's going to be available. I don't know about your movie if they'll make it that way, but that's for the speakers and stuff. Yeah. Um. Do you keep in touch with Nancy at all? Nancy Verrier? Oh, um, she's actually under the care of her family now so I have lost touch with her okay that's just a um, shame yeah I know she she seemed she's she's up there now isn't she she's she 80 it was right around her birthday whenever we had a, I attended your meeting um the zoom viewing oh, was that the birthday one I think it was I think it was February yeah, that's why I'm like trying. I'm a little fuzzy on the details because I know I watched the movie, but it's been a while now. And I'm like trying to, I remember it was very emotional. My partner and I watched it together and he was like, he was really into it. Oh, yeah. wow. I love hearing that. I think you might've told me that afterwards. And mm-hmm. I just really love hearing from non-adoptees. Yeah, yeah. It's been so in the community. So I really, I don't know if it's um, how it's going to hit. So. No, he liked yeah. it. He's, he was pretty much, he thought it was very profound and, you know, that it was a very well done film. So, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And I think it got even better because I just, having not had it out, I can keep editing it um, and get notes. And so it's just tighter now. And then like, I can add people so like Sierra Watson, Garrett Morosky from uh, the HBO show. Oh yeah. Who's, who is he? You mentioned him yesterday. And I was like, Garrett, who's Garrett? <laughs> show star. <laughs> it's just such a good reality show. Nikki Glazer hosts it. It's called F Boy Island. And it came out last year. Um, but he's an adoptee um, who is an inter-country adoptee, and so I'm learning more of his story, and hopefully we'll be able to tell more of it, Um, but I was able to put um, a clip of his story and, like, more context of who he is in the film, so there's, like, a flurry of adoptees, you know? Yeah, yeah. And now he's one of them, um, I think Moses Sparrow has been added since you saw it. 
Oh, wow. So that's very cool. And um, since I didn't like sign an exclusive deal to have the movie out yeah. and it seems to be more of a grassroots thing where there are all of these like adoptee groups um, around the world, I think it should be like the first ever customizable documentary. <laughs> and so if you anyone, have all the power. I can do that. And I'm um, decided to like be that person. Maybe I'm bananas, but, but um, I will just edit forever. But like, <laughs> it's so easy to drop a clip in this yeah. 30 seconds or swap a clip out. So like if a group wants to put their leader, their expert person uh -huh. or the university wants to put like their star professor in psychology or like child welfare services in the film yeah for that version I give them then I will do that like the licensing be includes that oh wow so I think that's how it should be because I want it to be like incorporate as many voices as possible and I'm still getting names for the adoptee army because like I'm literally gonna export it one last time before, but there will be like a master file version that you have on Vimeo, but I can also switch that out whenever I want. So I don't think I'm gonna close the adoptee army ever. And then maybe like, who cares if the army is an hour long? Like you don't have to watch it, but you can. And I get like, people are telling me like in the form it's what else, do you want us to know anything else? And people are putting, snippets of their story are just things they want out there and then I'm putting those quotes in oh wow the, the credits I know the last time you put that up on YouTube I sat and watched it and it was like that song that you have playing oh my god oh Mary Gaucher I'm not sure which one it was but I was bawling my eyes out it's it's Mary Gaucher and she's an adoptee and she, the whole album, The Foundling, she said I could pick any song off of it and use it. And it was so hard to pick one, but I went with March 11th. I have to look for that. I wonder if it's on Spotify. The whole album is like. Gut wrenching. <laughs> it's like the primal wound, but by an adoptee in musical form that's amazing i'll have to look for that that's good information so it's called the foundling the album yeah wow um, and she's awesome wow. by mary gaucher and gaucher is spelled g-a-u-t-h-i-e-r it's like oh more of a french um, yeah you could probably end up doing volumes of this you know just recording snippets and putting them up there you know, like you could have a, you have a Vimeo channel, I imagine, right? You know, you could have little episodes where you talk to different adoptees and. That's the dream. That's <laughs> kind of what I'm cooking up. But yeah, if that doesn't get an actual deal, I could just put it on Vimeo too. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really. <laughs> just keep, but I, that's my dream. Like I would love to tell more adoptee stories and have like a reckoning with um, like reckoning with Jen's story or, you know, and then we like delve into that plus these subjects that you can only touch on in a movie. Yeah. You can't like dig deeper into what disenfranchised grief looks like or is, but you right. could, and if you dedicated an entire 
episode to that. <laughs> so that is my dream. Yes. I have a group um, that's called uh, I Found a Grave. That's specifically for adoptees that at the end of their search discovered that one or both of their birth parents was deceased. Because when I initially created the group, I thought both my parents were deceased. And that was like a lot (laughs) to deal with. Like, it was really hard. I had a suspicion that my mother was deceased because I was looking for her for years um, on mutual, mutual reunion registries, they were called. Um, where you would put in your information and like moms would put in their information and then it would, it was a big database. And I just would spend, you know, hours at a time perusing the internet, looking for these and just constantly digging. And after probably about three or four years of that, I was like, if she's not looking for me, I think she's dead. And that was just, that was just where I was at. I felt like if my mother was around, she'd have been looking for me. And cause it was during that time in the nineties that those talk shows were getting really popular where they were doing um, blind <laughs> reunions and stuff like that. That was what catalyzed me into searching. Oh. I saw an episode of Maury Povich where he reunited a mom and daughter. It was the first time I'd ever seen that. And I was just <laughs> silent sobbing, just like, just tears and snot pouring off my face. Yeah. It was just so moving to in that small glimpse witness, just the genetic mirroring even because they moved similarly, their mannerisms were similar. And it was just like, Oh my God. Like I hadn't even thought that this was possible, you know, because I was a baby scoop adoptee where there's like no information at all. You know, everything was handled by the court and the lawyer. So everything is sealed. I can't, can't get anything. So like I even called orphans court a couple weeks ago and was like, look, you know, I've gone through all this. I know everybody involved. Can I get my records now? And they were like, nope. (laughs) I was like, damn, like, it's so unfair. They treat it like it's nuclear secrets, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It is. It's so bizarre that people can't like have the empathy to think. It's the laws. It's it's back to these antiquated laws that that need to be changed that Mm -hmm. governments aren't really willing to, you know, it's not in their eyes. It's not a big problem that deserves a lot of their focus and attention you know, oh, okay, some adoptees are making noise that they want records open, whatever, we have bigger fish to fry, you know, and so they don't really worry about it. And there are a lot of legislators, you know, I mean, even on the Supreme Court, like Amy Coney Barrett's an adoptive mom. And I think there's another one up on the Supreme Court who's also an adoptive parent. And like, they just think it's just fine and don't really want to hear it, you know? And um, I don't even know if the Adoptee Citizenship Act got passed yet. I, I don't no, know. I haven't it's looked gone through it. four like um, administrations without getting voted on. I know, I know. Yeah, you can go to um, the, there's websites like congress.com or, or 
gov or whatever, I think. And you can access like the current legislations that are up there. And I've seen it. It was submitted like 2015, 2005, I think, was the first time that a first draft was submitted. And it's it's like ridiculous. If you're going to give these adoptees a birth certificate that makes them look like they were born in Columbus, then they should be a citizen, you know? <laughs> I mean, come on now. It doesn't make any sense. And it has a lot of support. It's just, it doesn't have the visibility, I don't think. Maybe right. it will. That's my hope is that like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with the film. I hope that it gets like some traction. Oh, absolutely. There's a there's an interesting thing. I had a social, in my social work class, um, we had an advocacy class last year. And it was not just about personal advocacy, but also advocating at like a state and government level. And my professor literally said that when a legislature hears about the same topic from 10 people, it becomes a quote unquote hot topic. So- well, you know they've heard from mm -hmm. that many. You know they've heard from that many. Well, the, the, you know, the thing is, I don't know. Cause a lot of people spread the word and say you should do this, but it doesn't mean people are doing it. And it's got to be like in one area, you know? So in like, if I chose to push it here in West Virginia, where I'm at, you know, I would have to get like at least 10 other adoptees in West Virginia that would be willing to like write in or call about this. And I, I have a hard time finding any adoptees here. I tried to start an adoptees connect group here and I, I couldn't find any adoptees that would come, you know? So it's, it's hard to get people to, to actually advocate for themselves sometimes, you know, especially when you're struggling with the primal wound, you know, and yeah. don't, and a lot of times people are struggling with a primal wound and don't know it. So yep. I, I, I did want to tell you this, since your movie is called Reckoning with the Primal Wound, I, I hate going to a new therapist because every time you do, it's like you have to teach them all over again. Because there aren't just adoption competent therapists everywhere, right? Um, my most recent therapist is unfortunately retired, which kills me. But I swear, I spent like the first year of our sessions talking to her about adoption. And, you know, she mentioned to me how she knows she has other clients that are adopted. And she learned a lot from me. And I told her about the book, Reckoning, or the Prem Wood. I want to keep calling it Reckoning with the Prem Wood now. But the book, Prem Wood. And um, she owns the practice. She bought a copy of the book herself to read and bought copies for all of the counselors that work in her office and said, you know, read this. So that's, that's a good thing. You know, at least she was yeah. open when yeah, she was, great. when she was younger, she was actually a journalist and she remembered um, writing a story about Crittenton. And, you know, it was an unwed mother's home. And she was actually asked to hold one of the babies while riding in the backseat of a car because they didn't use car seats back then. And um, just, she said, falling in love with this baby and thinking about the baby's mom, you know, back at this home and what she was going through. And so she had already had like thoughts about it, you know, and she knew there's something, something yeah. wrong here. Yeah. <laughs> and, wow. Yeah. 
So it's great when you can find a therapist who, even if they're not an adoptee, is willing to listen, you know. It's It's huge. Yeah, it really is. And the fact that she bought books for everybody was, you know, she showed me the sack on her shelf, you know. So. That's amazing. I know, I know. Yeah, I hope just like putting the information in another form is helpful too. Oh yeah. Your movie is really powerful, you know, like it's, it really is like I, it's just really something to like be able to do that, like to have the forethought to capture this footage, you know, and like, it's very vulnerable and raw to put yourself out there like that, you know, that's gotta be kind of intimidating. I can imagine yeah, I like, your I'm, like first spinning out showing. this week. I'm like freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> Having the worst week. Um, but thanks for like acknowledging that and also had help and it did sit there for like a year because it was like what but really it, it did seem like something that I had no choice about doing. You know, when you you do something like that and you just have to keep Motivated. going. Yeah. Something was driving you to do it. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure like, I just was trying to imagine you being at this premiere and it's you're on this big screen, you know, in your life. And that's gotta be really overwhelming. Something you probably feel like you need to process and recover from a little bit, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And it's just bad timing that we moved three months ago. I lost my therapist Oh yeah. The laws, the stupid laws. Like we had to go online for COVID, but then she can't practice because I'm out of state. Yeah. Like, does that make any sense? That's rough. But that, and then I had this huge event I had to put on in New York City two weeks before the premiere. Mm-hmm. And like you don't like that was set before the film festival happened. So it's like dates that you can't change and really that was super stressful. And here I am like preaching self-care, but not doing it. Cause I'm, yeah. I like moved from all the things I did and it's so hard to like start over. And now we're like at a place where Steven needs the car and we only have one car. So I'm, I can't walk to, like I could walk to my self-care places in Ithaca cause it was small and we live downtown, but not in Tallahassee. <laughs> right that does make and it I different. didn't think about that or like how bad that would be for like the stress ball that I've made myself do you um, know um do you know Laura she's uh the adopted chameleon she goes by oh yes Lorraine yeah yeah is it Lorraine is that how you pronounce it yeah that's what she says so okay. that is I guess I didn't know until we um talked but they put it on in Oklahoma City yeah. uh-huh yes so that's how yes 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 I didn't realize it was Lorraine I saw it written and I was thought it was Laura in my head no I always said Laura too but now I have to thank you for correcting me she yeah she's doing some healing thing right yeah she does these yoga things over zoom I was gonna say maybe that would help if you were able to I need to like yeah this will be my encouragement to (laughs) find new things I can't just not yeah with my social work class we our teachers like preach self-care 
they preach it because she's, you know, it's so like being a social worker can be really emotionally exhausting and overwhelming. And I think they've lost many, many social workers to burnout because they were not practicing self-care, you know? And so they're like, we don't want to lose the social workers we're getting. So we better teach them how to, you know, practice self-care. There's this thing called smart goals where you have to like make a goal and it's got to have, you know, like I'm going to practice meditation 15 minutes every day, Monday through Friday, you know, and, and things like that, where you have to like plan it and, and stick to it, you know, and uh, it's a lot easier than they say. So yeah, no, it's good to hear it and be reminded of and like, oh, I don't know yeah. why I'm not doing it, but I have like a list of therapists that are in Florida and I just haven't even looked at it. Do you have the list of um, adoption competent thor- therapists? They're adoptee therapists. I well, somebody sent me, yeah, send me, send it to me. Okay. I don't know, maybe somebody sent me something and I still, you know, I haven't had a second to do it or I keep sure acting myself but it's time like and especially if the film's actually gonna be I don't know what's gonna happen maybe right we can't but, see the future huh um if it is more readily available who knows and hopefully I'll be busier and talking about this even more and so that means like it's not more self-care like I have to do self-care I can't just keep not doing um so yeah send me send me all the things and sure. thanks for the reminder about it would be great to see it like on PBS or something, you know, Netflix would be even better, but. Netflix. Yeah. I mean, or, you can always get a streaming deal. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you like put it out, like I am doing, yeah. you can always get a streaming deal. That's something I've learned. Oh, you so, can, you, you should, or prime would be a good place to put it also on prime video people could rent it not for me but i know i'm gonna see if i can somehow whatever you can do to get it out in the mainstream more you know i know i know yeah that's hard i'm sure and again it's still it's you and your life that you're putting out there for people to see and that's not easy i've said for years i was going to write a book but i'm just like oh i don't know like i still want to do it but I don't know how the book will end yet. So I don't know, <laughs> like, I don't know how to end it. If I can't end it, I don't know how to. Oh yeah. It. Yeah. That's you what you, you probably didn't see the mother's day version of this film like a year ago, uh-huh. but the ending was totally different until oh, one of my producers was like, this is the ending. And oh. I needed somebody else to tell me that that knew my story. But, and so that's why, where that scene comes from. And it is it's like, yeah that's the end. <laughs> um, it's hard to know how me. to end things, you know, huh? it really is. it's hard to know how to end things. You know, so maybe like a writing group or like if somebody else could see that. Yeah. If you workshop it, I don't know. I know there are those groups, right? Like, Oh yeah. I know. Anne Heffern does writing coaching and things like that. Um, yeah, and a few other people. Yeah. I was listening to, uh, wandering tree and because Lorraine and Emma were on it last week or something and they were talking about another group and I can't remember but it's a writing group I don't know but 
yeah, sometimes it does take workshopping it in somebody else's perspective to get the ending because the ending is like so hard. It is, isn't it? When you're doing a creative thing, like, you know, a film on or... your own story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Like, I'm still alive, so it's not over yet. <laughs> Maybe that's a good, like, last line. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, we'll see where we go. And now, like, you know, my whole goal of going to school for social work was I was actually inspired by my former therapist because. Like I said, she had been a journalist. She didn't go back to school to become a counselor until she was in her thirties or forties. And, um, you know, I asked her, I said, which degree should I go for if I want to be, you know, a counselor for adoptees? And she said, if you want to go into counseling, she said, get your master's in social work because like, as opposed to like master's in psychology or master's in counseling, because she said, literally an MSW can accept more types of medical insurance than either of the other two. And there's also a lot more job opportunities in general as a social worker. And, but now that I've, I've been, I'm in my senior year on my bachelor's and like my goal, like I still kind of want to do that, but I also am like really interested in research because there's so much about adoption that needs to be researched, I feel. And from adoptee perspectives, like there's lots of papers out there about adoption, lots of articles, but a lot of them seem to be from the adoptive parents' perspectives more so than from the adoptee perspective. And I feel like it needs to be heard. You know, the adoptee perspective needs to be listened to more so. Um, like I was talking about going on the government website and looking at all these proposed bills and things like that. And there was one in there that was about, you know, I had put in the keyword adoption and they were trying to get funding to do a study. It was called adoption satisfaction. And I'm like, I know they're going to just interview adoptive parents, you know, and I feel like that, that should be a study that is aimed towards adoptees to find out how satisfied they were. I mean, we're the ones who were adopted, you know, and when they just want to interview adoptive parents, it's almost like a a consumer study in a way, you know, they're the ones that went through the process of adopting and a lot of times paying exorbitant fees and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we're just the commodity. So what does our opinion matter? And so it's really important, I believe, to uplift adoptee voices and then first mom voices, which is why on this podcast, I talk to adoptees and first moms. Well, hopefully I'm going to, um, I have to reschedule um, with CJ, but there is a, a natural father on TikTok. And we're going to record a conversation at some point here soon. And I'm excited to to hear his story and put his story out there too, because there's not enough dads that people hear from, you know, that's a, like a very quiet um, minority in the adoption scheme. Yeah, I had well, an adoptive. Uh, wait, an adoptive dad? Yeah, no, a birth dad. A birth dad. I thought you said birth dad. Um, yeah, I had a birth father at the screening in Ithaca, and it, I was like whoa, I don't think I've ever interacted with 
one of your type before. Yeah. So, and he shared his story and he said he'd never shared it. So that's amazing. There's definitely like a need for more of that. And yeah. Like space it's, for them. it's hard to find the dads. They're not often in like adoption communities and stuff like that. You know, a lot of them didn't know and don't even realize they have anything to process, you know, like my dad had no clue. He says he had no clue. So he literally said that if my grandmother knew that it was him, she would have forced them to get married. So my mom didn't tell anybody. You know, she put it on my birth certificate, but told nobody who my dad was. So, yeah. Not even him. Yeah, that's it's just a lot of secrets. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what needs to stop. It's so important that there's more truth out there. I mean... Some of the people on TikTok that come at us and they're like, well, you don't have any right to find your biological family or, you know, they say things like they threw you away. So why should yeah. you care? And it's so callous, you know, and they don't, there's like a lack of empathy. Yeah. Know? Yep. So, yeah. well, I'm very glad that you made the film and I know a lot of people out there are, and that's amazing that you're going to just, keep adding to it and editing it. Cause I think that's really cool. Thanks. Yeah. We'll see if I regret that, but it seems like the right thing to do. Like I want as many people to be included. Okay. And I can include information in the that's show possible. notes. That's so powerful. And there is, it's like, oh yeah, that'd be great. You can put the adoptee army form in there. Well, I was thinking um, just like a, if you want to send me a link to like the best place for people to reach out to you, if they want to do showings of the film, mm-hmm. you know, do you do that over Eventbrite? No, I mean, I don't, um, they can, they can choose okay. how, like if they want to, I let people do it, but they. And then it gets uh, shared like a screen share over Zoom, right? Yes. Do you mean like people, groups hosting? Yeah. Yeah. Their own screening. Yeah. Because the other screenings that, yeah, they're, they're like all listed, all the upcoming ones. And if we do one, we'll do them too um, on the website. And then um, please reach out to me if you want to host a screening, because that would be awesome. And then you can choose how to, however you want to do that. But yeah, it's usually Eventbrite and Zoom, but you okay. can do Venmo and I don't know. Do Zoom. you have a, um, or in person? Do you have a website for reckoning for the film? Oh yeah. It's okay. reckoning with the Okay. Well, that's easy to remember. Yeah. I'll make sure all that is in the show notes. And um, was there anything else that you wanted to add? Awesome. Cause um, no, just like maybe see anybody who can on Saturday and um, then just word of mouth marketing is kind of the game plan for now until yeah. I can hire a publicist if that ever happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm super accessible. So reach out to me if you have questions. Yes, you seem to be. Um, so Saturday, is that you said it's going to be first available on Vimeo? <laughs> Are you also doing uh, an event on Saturday? Well, Highwraith is hosting the event. Okay. So yeah, Jill and I will be at the Q&A after the screening at 3 p.m. 
Okay. So we'll be there at 4.30-ish. Okay. Um, but that that's all online. So we're not okay. doing like an in-person, but I did make some um, exclusive limited time merch about fall. Oh yeah. Fall or autumn on the website. So there's some pillows and <laughs> yeah, that idea came to me yesterday and a wine tumbler like with RWTPW and like the hashtag adoptee army. If, um, if that's interesting <laughs> to anybody that's cool. and then of course like normal shirts and stuff. Cause it would be great if like that was a thing. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up now. I just wanted to thank you for your time. Cause I know you're really busy and I'm sure you've done a lot of these and yeah. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. I will get this uploaded as soon as I oh, can no, so that we can hopefully try and get some people to uh, rent the movie. Thank you. I really appreciate you and everything you've done for the community. Well, so, thanks. Yeah. I've been in adoption land for a way long time. So yeah, like at my first adoption group, it was in line online and in person. And, uh, that was a long time ago. It was in a Yahoo group. So I've just, Oh I've yeah. Been, yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been doing this a long time, just talking about adoption, thinking about adoption, researching it. And, you know, so it's, it's a passion because it affects my life in big ways all the time. So. Yeah, no, thanks for everything you've done. (laughs) What I point people to that need like post support is the podcasts and the groups. So yeah, literally like we're all connected and part of this. So thanks again. I hope to see you on Saturday if you want to come. Let me know. Okay, I'll see what I can do. Yeah. All right. I'm going to stop recording.